This is Who She Knows, a podcast produced by She Knows Media. And this is your host, Elisa Camahort-Page, Chief Community Officer for She Knows Media. Today we'll be talking about being a body positivity role model. Welcome to the show. Uh, about two years ago, She Knows coined the term femvertising. It means advertising that employs messaging and imagery that's pro-women and pro-girls. We definitely operate in an ad-driven industry. But as my colleague She Knows Media President Sam Ski has said, at least we can market without doing more harm to women and girls. So last year, we created the Femvertising Awards to honor brands we thought were making a real difference. And just last week at the Blogger 16 conference, we unveiled the finalists for the second annual Femvertising Awards. These finalists were selected by a prestigious judging panel, including Sherry Appleby, the Ms. Foundation President Teresa Younger, and New York City's First Lady Shirlane McRae. But in the end, it is you, the public, who will decide the winners. Um, To do so, just go to femvertisingawards.com to vote. You can vote once per day, and voting ends August 19th. So when I was checking out all of these femvertising entries, I was really struck by how many focused on positive body imagery. Knowing some of the stats around women and even young girls and how they feel about their bodies, I thought it would be a perfect topic to dig into here on Who She Knows. So first up, I'm going to chat with Jess Weiner. She has spent years working with brands and companies and marketers to create more empowering messages and products for women and girls. Jess has been behind the scenes for everything from Barbie's recent transformation to Dove's decade of femvertising. So welcome to the show, Jess. I can't wait to dig in. Hi, Elise. I'm happy to be here. So, you know, first I just have to ask, how did this become the focus area for your life's work? I know. It's so crazy, right? I feel like I pinch myself every day because I love uh, I love what I do. I think it became the focus of my work because it has always been the focus of my life. Mm. Um, when I was studying in college, I and as soon as I discovered women's studies could even be a major, um, <laughs> I was so entranced with the fact that there's this whole history and this whole life of women's stories that haven't been told yet as much as we've heard about men's stories and traditionally white Mm -hmm. men's stories. And Mm so I think for me, it's embedded in my DNA to be curious about all of these different stories and points of view from women. And as I've grown in my career, and I've always been an entrepreneur, it has been focused on finding the right platforms and positions of power Mm -hmm. to challenge the way we tell those stories. And so, you know, over 22 years of doing this, I have finally found a way to work within the advertising world and the marketing world because they employ big platforms Mm -hmm. um, to help change those stories. So I think, you know, I feel very lucky and I also have worked really hard to find a way to make those two intersections come together where my passion meets my ability to make profit. Right, because it's uh, always it's important to have both, or there's no sustainability. Um, so let me ask you this: Why? Just what are the base baseline? What's the research tell us about why media and marketing messages matter so much when it comes to body image and to women and girls? Because I think that you know, media, especially now, and I would say probably marked by the last at least ten years. Um, if not a little more, media has just become the predominant form of communication amongst this new generation, right? These are not 
Whereas I think most uh, demographic marketing will tell us that, um, you know, millennials were, uh, they were digital, very good digital adapters, Gen Ys are digital natives, right? This is like, this is their world. And I think that when we take a step back and we look at this generationally, we have so many images that we process during the day mm-hmm. that media mm-hmm. and marketing messages are embedded everywhere. They're in pop-ups online when we're, you know, on our computer. They're certainly on our phone. They're on our clothing. They're on our billboards. There is a constant barrage of imagery and language that tell women and girls what to feel, how to look, who to be, what's important. And I think in the past, we could siphon those off a little bit, Elisa, and like mm-hmm. maybe we weren't exposed to them 24-7, but now because we're online so much and because our children are online so much, it is a constant narrative that we do not have the control over all the time. So I think it seeps in deeper and earlier than it ever has generationally. Do you agree there's this difference between marketing messages versus media messages? And do you think they create similar problems or does each group of messaging create different problems? It's a great question. I think I would tend to think they used to be more separate than they are. But I Uh. think with all media companies really focused on marketing and all marketing companies focused (laughs) on making media, they're becoming very intertwined. Right. Mm -hmm. So I think you but you, you bring a good point, which is that media messages traditionally from Hollywood have been based on the storylines that we consume, right? So they're about a fictional narrative, mostly, let's say. I think where those messages got very blurred was in the advent of reality TV, where we were now sort of fictionalizing real life, but still pretending it was real life. And so where, and then we had product placement. So it became this whole hodgepodge world of being sold to all the time, even if it's a direct sale, like buy this product, or if it's an indirect sale, like buy this message that this char- these characters are playing out on your TV or on your phone. And I think what we, the common denominator in it, to answer your question, is that it's focusing on who those communicators are. Who are the, who are the people behind the marketing mm-hmm. messages? Who are the people behind the media messages? And how do we get them to recognize more deeply the power that they have to change those messages without losing their business viability? Because I'm not suggesting we homogenize the whole world so that we're all like kumbaya and, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, and I understand there needs to be levels and grades of, of, of tension, but I think that we miss the fact that this is still created by people, by human yes. beings. Yes. Well, you know, it's interesting because sometimes when I see people really go after any company, really, um, you know, I think sometimes with the, the ubiquity and the ability of online communications to just speak directly, we feel like we're speaking directly to companies. But companies, it's like Soylent Green. It's made of people. And someone made, I mean, that's why you sit there and have the conversation, was there a woman in the room when they decided to do this ad? Was there a person of color in the room when they decided to do this story or write this headline? You wonder that all the time. Um, And then the other kind of feedback I think I've gotten that I'd be interested in your perspective on about things like femvertising and since you've worked on so much of it is, what do you say to people who say, well, you know, that's nice and all, but you're still selling something. You're, you may be a, it may be feel good, but you're still trying to make me buy something that I may not need. Uh, you're still, you know, it's still consumerism. What, what's your response? Well, I mean, listen, 
I think you have to always recognize the source. If you're going to critique a marketing campaign, you first have to pay attention to that first word. It's a marketing campaign. It right. is designed to sell something. Right. And if you don't want to play in that world, then don't, don't, I think it not, you know, certainly analyze it, but don't expect to go to the hardware store and buy milk. Like it just doesn't work like that. If you're mm-hmm. going to talk to brands about, you know, don't, you know, don't market me something I don't need. Well, th- the whole advertising industry would go away. That's the whole point. Right? Right, right. So I spend less time focused on changing this, what the hardware store carries. And I spend more time focusing on how do I make those products better? And if, if I always say like the toothpaste is out of the tube, if a company is going to market a product to women, I'm not going to walk into a $6 billion business as an individual and say, you guys should stop doing this. This is really bad to sell women this. I'd rather come in and say, hey, women are smarter than that. They're better than that. They're more equipped than that. If you're going to talk to them, why don't we talk to them with a level of respect or Mm -hmm. dignity or inspiration that's going to, you know, give something to them. If you're still going to spend the same money to market to them, why not do it better? I guess that's been my philosophy in, in how I work and who I work with. If they're going to do it, I always go back to the thing I heard Sam say, like when I first started, at, you know, working with her is she's like, you know, at least we can do no harm. If we're going to be marketing, we're going to be advertising. So at least we can make it better um, and not contribute to the kind of messaging you were talking about at the outset, which is uh, can be demoralizing or de um, dehumanizing in some cases. Do you, Do you think, though, that. So I think of my eco friends who see the eco efforts of many companies to be greenwashing. And then I also think of the whole breast cancer, pink ribbon. You know, a lot of my friends from that community um, get really put off by pink ribbon stuff when so little of it, you know, so little of the money raised by selling items with the pink ribbon goes with some companies goes to the actual causes. Do you see is is femvertising kind of um a trend now and that therefore there are people uh, kind of exploiting the trend not really dedicating themselves to it do you see that a lot because i know you know what good uh empowering advertising looks like yeah i mean i think it can tend to become a trend i think you know look marketers not all of them but some of them can be fairly lazy in their approach they see what's worked and they kind of model that you know and they mirror that model over and over again right that's why we have so much embedded sexism and racism mm-hmm. and homophobia and earlier advertising campaigns because to your point earlier there probably wasn't a minority or a woman or a different you know person in the room talking about that and so I think, you know, it can become a lazy person's approach to say, oh, well, empowerment is a one-size-fits-all message. Mm -hmm. I think that you look at something as complicated as the breast cancer campaign, and look, I bet you there's some people you would survey that would say, oh, my gosh, that campaign bonded me to my family, gave me an event to go to with my sisters, helped me raise money at a time that I felt helpless. And you'll probably find other people that say, this is, you know, bullshit. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, and none of this money gets there. And so it all depends on the value system of which you look through something. I think that you you can always find, this is why it's, it's not as easy to boycott anymore because it's just not as black and white as that. There are people, we have to remember there are people who get different things from different messages. And so, I think, you know, I hope that marketers out there who want to reach women with femvertising or with empowering messages keep challenging themselves to do it better and to get more specific and to get deeper. That's what I hope. 
I get really torn when, especially when it's big, big, huge brands, big, huge multinational companies. They're probably, when they have many, many products they make and many, many things they do, they're probably doing something I don't like, you know, <laughs> like it's yeah. pretty hard to, ple- first of all, you can't please everybody. We know that, but I'm pretty sure some stuff they do doesn't please me. But so I always use this example. I'm a, I'm a vegan and um, I think Kraft bought Morningstar Farms and, you know, the, or uh, anyway, somebody brought one of those big vegetarian brands and a lot of the vegetarians and vegans were like, oh no, it's been totally destroyed. And I'm like, no, no, it proves there's a market and we should encourage that you know, we should encourage that market. Um, I want it to go more mainstream. Uh, I even think the same of when Indra Nui, the the CEO of PepsiCo, uh, keynoted Blogger back in 2011. And she talked about how she thought the real growth area was in more healthy snacks and healthy foods because they kind of had saturated where they could go with the, the other kinds of foods and snacks and drinks. And, you know, people were like, but they, they still make soda, you know, and I'm like, but don't we want, don't we want people to move in these directions? And I think the same thing about these empowering ads, like we want people to make progress, you know, how do we, you know, no one's ever exactly where we want them to be. Don't we want them to take a step or two closer? Um, yeah. And that's sort of my philosophy all, all the time. Um, I wanted to shift gears a little bit and, and say, you know, something that really, struck me again when I was watching these ads, but also when I'm in my community every day, there is such this tension between body positivity and wanting to own your beauty. And yet we're still always talking about what's healthy. How can I be healthier? And, you know, for a lot of us, healthier includes, gosh, I wish I could lose weight. I think I would be healthier. That is part of it. I'm not saying it's all of it. Um, So when you're operating in these environments, I know you worked on the Barbie campaign to come up with more body types for Barbie. And I know you've worked on a lot of Dove campaigns, um, which are very much from the very first real woman ad, feature different body types. How, How do you work with companies to operate at that tension between, you know, being super positive about where you are now, but even having goals that do mean you want to change your body? I think it's about recognizing that not every woman's experience around her body is the same, which sounds like a Mm. duh, but I don't think for marketers or for brands, they often recognize that, right? Because they're so used to looking at psychographics and demographics on the page. And my job really is to come in and remind them that these full-bodied, full-blooded, like different shaped people out there called women want and have a different relationship to their body. So I think it sounds very simple, but number one is just to remember that um, not every woman's experience with health is the same or their body is the Mm -hmm. same. And so I think as much variety as we can offer in the messaging is really important. And I think the other thing is to be really flexible in, in knowing that the conversation around body and beauty was here long before us. I feel like as long as we're a visual world it will be here long after us Mm -hmm. and people's Mm -hmm. tastes will change and people's cultural tension points will change and so my job as an advocate for my brand partners is to really come in and keep pushing the boundaries of where we're going to next listen five years ago Elisa we were not talking about body positivity I didn't have that word to use with brands and now there's a market industry around that yeah that's so true I feel like we have to just be open to the continuing evolution and 
it's again, not black and white. It's evolving. We're humans. We're in process. And we are, as women especially, redefining on a daily basis how we value and engage in this conversation. And it's complex. You know, I'm just to get personal for a moment. You're, I think of you as a guru of positive messaging to women and girls, including around body image. You've been doing this, I think you said, 22 years. How has your own self-talk evolved? Are you like as guru with yourself as I imagine you to be with others, you know? Um, of course not. Who is? <laughs> I know. I mean, I think, I think, but I will tell you candidly, my self-talk shifted dramatically, I don't know if it's about the work that I've done or if it's about the age and space that I've gotten into in my 40s where I feel like in my own just evolution as a person, I've learned a lot more about self-compassion and mindfulness and connection that added a whole new dimension into how I felt about health and my body and beauty and all that kind of stuff. And so it had a lot less to do with, um, I don't know, following a program or a path and more about just deepening my relationship to myself and my life. And I think I learn from everything I do sitting in a boardroom. Listen, it's very, when I first started, I was talking into the wind. I was sitting Mm. in boardrooms talking about diversity and beauty, oftentimes being the only full figured woman in the room, oftentimes, you know, sitting in a room full of men. Mm -hmm. And it just seemed like I was never going to find a community to back me up. And now I feel like what helps me stay sane is my community. It's people like you and voice, voices that I find within the She Knows world and within Blogger that are constantly teaching me. And so that's how I learn and get better. And then I try to just turn that around and help other people. Do you feel like, you know, that's so interesting you bring up talking into the wind, that there was little purchase for your, you know, ideas uh, in the beginning. Do you think that we, the public as you said, changed and started to form community around these ideas and that empowered you in the boardroom? Or do you think more women coming into the workplace or into power into leadership positions made what made that change? What started to bring about receptivity and, and really changed the, the so that you had more um, more people listening and actively listening and more importantly, willing to act? I think social change is a very unique ecosystem and it it requires everything you just mentioned. So I think the fact that there were, I've always, I always have believed and will continue to believe that we need the outliers. We need the disruptors. We need the people who are pissed off with status quo and raising holy hell. We need them, right? Because we need to be reminded of the barometer of, of pain and discomfort that's out there so that we can stay honest. But those disruptors are not often the people who can make the change inside the system. Mm-hmm. So we need the communities to raise their voice. And then we need executives, to your point, to be in positions of power, uh, aware and conscious of these issues to make the change. We need communities like you created with Blogger initially, which is like this breath of fresh air to find likeness and similarity in 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 in, in community. And that's important. I think it's everything. But also at the end of the day, I think it is when we talk about marketing, it's a business. And mm-hmm. if there's an audience to buy a product or to buy a message, there will be a supply and demand and there will be more messages given in that way. And that's how I feel about what you're trying to do around femvertising and naming it and awarding it and mm-hmm. pointing it out. Because if there is a reward system in place for business, businesses will go to it. If there's a business case study to be made, we need everything to work together. If, if that business part is not there, the activists and the community and the individuals can only do so much 
if right. what you're trying to change is, you know, is a business model. So I think it needs, it's, it's everything. And, and quite honestly, social media was a game changer because mm. it made the invisible mm. visible. Yeah. So all of these women who were having these private conversations around their bodies now have this gorgeous platform and a visual platform to be seen. And that's something marketers can't deny. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think that, I mean, Dove maybe has been at this longer than most, but I think they've also really made it powerful because they've reported sales results. You know, I've, yeah. I've seen, I don't know if you know that data working with them closely, but I mean, they've reported actual change in sales that they attribute to these, this kind of empowering marketing. Isn't that so? Yes. Dove has done that as well as Aerie's been doing that recently, oh. right? Aerie has been very forthcoming in saying when we decided to stop Photoshopping and airbrushing and using models and deciding to use models of different shapes and sizes, we're doing better financially. Barbie's done better financially this last quarter um, in their report as well about acknowledging and, and building their product to represent more diversity. I think we need more of that. You know that. We need more case studies of businesses saying, we took this risk and the risk paid off yeah. because typical fashion, you get one brand or one industry that tries it and it doesn't work and they go, oh, that's it. We're never going to do that again. And it's <laughs> like, no, you, we've got to try it multiple times. And that's really the work I do as a consultant. I try to normalize the risk tolerance for making change right. with my brand so that they can be in it for the long haul, certainly like Dove has been. Okay. So this is, I'll put you on the spot and ask you one last question. Can you remember... What is the most tone deaf or not getting it thing anyone ever said to you in one of those meetings that lets you know exactly how much work you had to do? <laughs> how much time do we have? I oh, have gosh. so many memories. Yeah. I'll give you my first, my first and biggest example. And actually, I hate to say it, but this was said to me by a female executive oh. um, at a network, a television network, a, a good many years ago, about 10 or 15 years ago. And I was kind of pitching a show idea that and a campaign that had a lot more to do with celebrating women's unique bodies and mm -hmm. experiences. And I remember her looking me straight in the face and saying, women don't want that positive shit. There's <laughs> women out there. They, they really like to feel bad about themselves. It's what keeps them oh. motivated. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, damn, there's a lot of work to do because you know, this wasn't some old white dude who said that this was a, you know, Latina female executive who said that to me. Like, that was her POV and her position. And it was a bummer. But it also was an indicator that that we have to also not take for granted that just because people look differently or that they're all on our same side. Like, we've got to keep having these conversations because that's that was her POV, whether it was personal or professional. That was her bottom line wow. as somebody who could green light better programming. That was her POV on women. Um, that is an amazing story. And that made my jaw drop wide open and therefore I think we should just leave it there we have a we have come a long way baby but as you say <laughs> there's still a ways to go and I I feel better knowing you were at the front lines fighting that battle and see I keep using I always use battle metaphor because I was in male dominated companies for so long <laughs> I cannot help myself uh, but anyway you are fighting that battle I'm going to say it anyway and, and I thank you for that Jess and I thank you for joining me today because it's been great talking to you thank you so much I'm happy to be in this battle and journey together <laughs> that's right journey is a little nicer we're on a journey <laughs> through a meadow <laughs> no it's okay we do have to do battle let's not undersell that it's still a little bit of a battle yeah alright good yes <laughs> alright thank you Jess thanks so much bye Lisa bye 
Now we have Robin Silverman. She's a child and teenager development specialist, body image expert, and author of the book Good Girls Don't Get Fat, How Weight Obsession is Messing Up Our Girls and How We Can Help Them Thrive Despite It. Thank you so much for joining us today, Robin. I'm glad to be here. So we are talking about body positivity, especially in the face of uh, so many constant media and marketing messages. Um, and how, and also about role modeling of positive body image and why it's important. So how would you describe, to sort of level set us, what do you think the current climate is like for girls and their self-image, especially around their physical self? Well, one of the things that I say when I'm presenting, which I always think impacts the audience the most, is that 95% of girls between the ages of 16 and 21 want to change something about their bodies. Mm. It is a profound problem, and I find that it is more normal than not to have an issue with your body. Um, In fact, when people ask me why I got into this field and what was so interesting to me about body image is that I feel like it's something that's so unfortunately unifying Mm. about our society that any girl or woman that I've spoken to at some point or another has had an issue with their body, um, can, can speak very well about what might have impacted their body image. And even if they've come around to feeling more positive about their bodies, they really have a great deal of empathy for girls and teenagers these days who have to be bombarded by so many messages, more so than we've had. Um, And I will also say that, you know, at this point, there's 20 million girls um, that have eating disorders, 20 million girls and women who have eating disorders, which, of course, has a genetic component to it, but is triggered by something typically in society And we have this message that's being sent to young girls very early on. It is not something that is only related to teenage girls, but really as young as age three, four, five years old, young girls are getting the message that fat is bad Mm -hmm. and thin is good. Um, So it's not surprising that by the time we get to college age, we have a large majority of the girls who are currently having a problem with their bodies or have faced a problem with their bodies throughout their teenage years. And am I correct in assuming that the numbers for boys are significantly different? They are, but some of that is skewed because of, you know, lack of reporting. Right. But just to give you an idea, you know, when they say 20 million girls and women have uh, have eating disorders, 10 million of the boys um, have reportedly had, had eating disorders. Hmm. So, you know, definitely very different. And in terms of body image issues... They may have body image issues, but they're they're markedly different um, where, you know, we still have boys bombarded with images of the perfect male body, which is really buff and very cut. And, um, you know, they are dealing with those problems, Uh, but they're not they, they I find that boys still have actors out there that 
they see celebrities out mm. there that they see that are still celebrated, mm-hmm. but don't have the perfect physique. Where girls, we have much fewer of those celebrities that are uh, fully celebrated and and loved and adored who are outside of that very small, tiny box. Well, that's that whole television trend there was for a while that's probably still ongoing where the lead guy would be someone pretty, the the big jovial uh, fat guy with the tiny little pocket person wife, you know, and and that's uh, something we see all the time. And you mentioned that messages get to girls as young as three, four, and five. Mm. Um, Yes. What does, what, I'm just well, sad and shocked by that. But like, how does a message get to a three-year-old? Where is a three-year-old girl getting a message? I totally get it. Once you get old enough to get the teen magazines and Mm -hmm. to watch teen TV. But you know, when you're three, I I picture it as being a very innocent time. So how are they getting messages like that? You know, it's so funny. I've even seen it with my own eyes. I guess if I had it, I'd be like, this is ridiculous. Where are they getting this from? But First of all, you know, you see it with cartoons or any of the media that these young girls are seeing. I have a seven-year-old, so I've seen it throughout her childhood as well. And I also have a six-year-old boy. And if you look at any of the Disney characters, the Barbie dolls, the uh, Monster High dolls, you know, anything that they're, they've been playing with for a long period of time, and they're trying to adjust this now, but they have had so many images of even the toys they play with and the cartoons that they see, the, the princesses that they love, that all have the same body, mm-hmm. right? So it's not surprising that they start to see beauty in one particular way. It must look like this, because this is what my doll looks like, this is what princess so-and-so looks like and this is what every picture of um, the, uh, the celebrated person looks like that comes into my eyes but I also see and it's it's unfortunate this happens but I was at the uh, this little beach the other day um, and there was a mom there with her young daughter and you know the the daughter is in a little you know bikini bathing suit and she taps her on the top to the tummy and she's like oh you have such a flat tummy I wish I had that too oh I mean it could be as as specific as that where even if it sounds like a compliment all of those things are are put into a child's brain and as they're growing up, it becomes part of how they think. So, you know, it, it can be it can be very subtle, um, but it also can be very direct. Um, and and I've seen it in in both the negative way, where a, a parent is is mentioning something about their their child's chubby thighs, um, as well as in a sort of slanted positive way where they're giving themselves a, 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 a giving the child a backhanded compliment um, that, that winds up, uh, you know, helping to, to form their body image mm-hmm. uh, ideals. Well, you know, I was going to ask you how girls are influenced specifically by their mothers or other female mm-hmm. adult figures, but not just what, the moms say about them or any of us adult women in a child's life, but um, what we say about ourselves, right? Absolutely. 
Absolutely. You know, when I'm when I'm speaking in front of parents, especially like when I'm speaking in front of mothers, I've had moms come up to me at the end of presentations and they'll and they've said to me, you know, I never, ever say anything about my daughter's body. The only things that I have said are about myself. <laughs> and we have to understand that those comments have as much of an influence on our girls than if we said something directly about their their particular body. So I've had a mom say to me, um, I I never say anything about my daughter's body, but I've just said you don't want to look like mommy. Oh, and right. I mean, That's it's it's awful. obvious from an outsider's perspective, and obviously this parent had her mind and her heart in the right place. She was just concerned because she felt like she was always picked on her whole life for being a bigger woman or being a bigger mm-hmm. girl. And she wanted her daughter to be healthy, but then she phrased it in this way. Um, I've had mothers tell me that they've, uh, they have one daughter who is, uh, is a plus size girl, one daughter who's very thin, and so they do wind up talking to them differently, treating them differently. I say, you can have the salad, but she can have the fries. And all of these things wind up filtering in and creating our, our body image ideals. So it can be, if you have a direct comment, obviously, you know, you look fat, can have have an impact on a girl but then you have the indirect comments mm-hmm. so the mother's looking in the mirror she grabs her thighs she makes a face and she you know vows to eat celery for the rest of the week um she doesn't even need to say anything mm-hmm. the mother who's sitting at the table and pushing away the dessert or um she's choosing to eat something very small and a salad while everybody else is eating something else these kinds of messages can say something uh, just as a compliment of, oh, look at your look at the neighbor. She's got such long, thin legs. Those are so amazing. She looks like such a model. Right. And it, it's it doesn't have to be the negative, ugly comments that we typically think of as damaging. So I'm I'm kind of torn. I have two thoughts going on my on in my brain at once. And the first is, oh my God, why is it always the mom? The mom who's oh like, no, it you know, stinks. Are you kidding? Stinks. Yeah, it's like we find we you know. So part of me wants to rebel and say, you know, well, aren't 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 our body image, um, you know, isn't that much more fed by media and marketing and. Um, and isn't, you know, there's genetics in there and there's this and there's that. Like, can we can we take this off the plate of something that the moms are responsible for, which mm-hmm. which maybe we can't. But then my second thing is, OK, but then what what can moms do? And especially what can moms do if their their pediatrician is saying, you know, your kid does need to lose weight or get more healthy mm-hmm. or whatever. Like what mm-hmm. kind of bind are, are and and they're dealing with their own shit, excuse my language, mm-hmm. but you know like No, that's okay. It is it is shit. Yeah. So <laughs> what what what's a mom to do in this situation? And also yeah. I'm really curious what you think a dad should do. Um, oh, if yes. there's a dad just, in the picture. That was one of the things I was thinking because it's very important to note that while mom's words often rule supreme in this case, I mean, you're the, she's the direct model to mm-hmm. the daughter. 
the father is very important as the very first man in this girl's life and teaches a girl in all kinds of ways what it is that men and boys value in girls and mm. uh, what's important in life. Uh, so it, it, they're, they're very important. Um, we want to make sure that the fathers are fully involved because often these kinds of conversations get pushed to the mom. Um, but it is a, a family thing. And just as important, we need moms and dads talking to the boys, you know, and, and demonstrating to them what is important about people, about girls, mm -hmm. um, well beyond their appearance. So that is important to note. Um, and as far as it, you know, being a you know, really in the mom's place. And it's, you know, often damned if you do, damned if you don't. Right. I think that there's things that we can do. And as a mother, I, I feel firmly, you know, stepping in the crap that we have to step in in order to um, deal with these issues. There are many times that I am in the bathroom with my daughter and we are discussing this particular issue because it comes up. And I just want to say to all moms, like, let's dive in, you know, don't skirt around it. Let's talk about it. Let's get it out in the open because if you're not talking about it, somebody else is going to. Mm -hmm. And certainly by seven or eight or nine, these girls will be inundated, not just with images, but uh, my daughter came home the other day and she's like, these two girls at camp are wearing sports bras. There's seven, you know, so wow. it's already happening um, that, you know, the body is coming into play. So there have been times when I've been standing in the bathroom with my daughter and I get dressed in front of my daughter all the time. I want her to see what real people look like. And I think that it's important that she, you know, sees that I'm comfortable with my body and that she can ask me anything. I know that that's like a modesty thing for some people and that's okay. But for me, I, if you can do that, if you can get dressed in front of your, your daughter and you can, you know, kind of muster yourself through that, then I think that can be a really positive thing. My daughter's asked me many questions related to that. Mm -hmm. And there have been times even when she was, you know, four years old, when she was in the bathtub and I was getting dressed and she was like, Oh, mommy, you have a big tushy. <laughs> and I, and I, you know, you're like right at that moment when you're really like stepping in the, in the crap, really right there. You have this moment where there's like that thought bubble over your head. Like I could totally mess this up right now. Like mm. here's the moment, right? This is the moment and I could totally mess this up. And then I just took a step back and here are the two options I could say, right? Number one, that's not a nice thing to say, which is clearly going to send one message, right? right? Like, oh, you're not supposed to say that. Like what what society would say right mm -hmm. there. Or I can make a comment and I can talk about this and really send home my value, which is all bodies are acceptable. We should all value our bodies, right? So I turned to her and I said, of course my tushy's big. I can't have your little tally tushy on my big mommy body because then I wouldn't be able to do all my favorite things. 
and she's getting it out of the bath. And I said, what are your favorite things to do with your body? Like, what does your body allow you to do? And she's like, I love to run and I love to jump and I love to do gymnastics. And I was like, I love to do yoga and I love to run outside with you guys at the park. And I love to go running and walking. That's what my body allows me to do. And I am so excited to have this tushy and these legs and these arms and picked her up. We looked in the mirror together and I say, aren't our bodies amazing? Aren't we amazing? And it created this moment where we were able to laugh and dance and jump up and down and and celebrate ourselves. Um, and it's happened more than once that we've had those types of moments um, where I send home the message that our bodies are able to do amazing things for us and we need to we need to be positive about them and instead of evaluating them based on looks we can evaluate we can say our bodies are amazing because of all these things and you thought of that in the moment like i think a lot of us would be 30 minutes later we're like oh yeah that's no, what, that's totally, what i should have said <laughs> totally get that i actually yeah. said when i presented on that very thing I said it and I could feel the audience having that exact thought going through their head, you know, right there. Yeah. And I said, and some of you are now thinking, well, oh, crap. Um, but you know what? Parenting is the ultimate do-over. I guess. So yeah. thank God, right? Mm -hmm. So we can step back after we've messed it up because there are millions of days and millions of times that I've messed up one thing or another. I am so far from the perfect parent. It's, it's just ridiculous. And I will say, remember when we were talking about whatever the thing is two days ago, last night, last week, last year, here's what I wished I said. Mm. I don't believe what I said. This is what I really believe. And you can have a do-over moment. Hmm. So I encourage people to do that. You'll have that do-over moment. And take the breath. Because I didn't answer immediately. Yeah. It, was, it was after a couple beats for yeah. me to get my mind around what it is that I could say in this moment that truly is the message I want to send. Yeah, that, that idea of going back and getting that opportunity. And so many times in life, we don't have that opportunity with the random things that happen. But definitely, you've got 18 years. <laughs> you do. Well, and you have, you have even more than that. Because there might be, you know, parents of, of girls who are already in college or in graduate school or even mm -hmm. beyond where, you know, you realize that your daughter has adopted some of your views of body image and you're not so happy with it because maybe, you know, that's not the message you wanted to send. Right. And you can say, you know, I've made some mistakes in my life um, and they're based on truths that I believed, but here's what I believe now. And let's, mm. I'd really like to open some dialogue with you mm. about that. I think that's okay. So... Since we know that girls as young as three are getting these messages from cartoons, from media, from marketing, ultimately they're going to get it from their peers. How, you know, how early do you start 
actually pointing out and, and engaging with young girls in critical thinking when they see an ad come on. Like I'm thinking about, you know, let's say you're watching TV with your daughter and a Carl's Jr. I mean, to just bring up one of many, many kinds of brands there could be where there could be a really voluptuous woman, you know, or mm-hmm. some uh, pick another, you know, advertiser where something comes on that's just really either very body focused or really focused on a stereotype or really, you know, disempowering or negative. Like how, how do you start, do you start those conversations that young? I do. I start mm-hmm. conversations really young. I, I would say, you know, you don't have to start with that. Like I, I, I practice <laughs> on something else. Yeah. You know, practice on the, the, uh, the Toys R Us catalog. Like why is this blue? Why yeah. is this pink? Like, what do you see? You know, what kind of lettering is used? Who do you think this toy is for? Why are they saying that? Can boys play with that too? I've I fully had those conversations uh-huh. with both my kids before engaging in more serious conversations around body image because that's something very obvious and it was also extremely meaningful to them. Both my kids play with all kinds of toys. So I would say to my daughter, Oh, who's in this who's in this commercial? Like who's in this? Who's in this ad? Mm-hmm. Oh, they're all boys. Oh, are are we saying that only boys can play with that those Legos or those whatever? She's like, no, I play with those. Should they have a girl in there? Yes, they should. Yeah, you know, and I and I just taught them to look a little bit more about who is who is trying to sell them something. What are they trying to sell, and who are they trying to sell it to, and are they making any mistakes? Mm-hmm. Because the more savvy we can make our girls and boys when it comes to the media, the better off they'll be. And and I'll tell you, they do not like to be duped. Mm-hmm. These kids get mad. Yeah. And, I, and I will say it full out to them. I, I will say, do you know that these advertisers think you're stupid? They do. They think you're stupid because they think that they can convince you that only boys can play with this toy or they can convince you that you need this thing so badly that you're going to ask me for it right now. <laughs> and and so you, you help them to realize that the wool is being pulled over their eyes and then they will become much more outright with their voice and mm-hmm. say, no, that's not okay. I often, so start early. Yeah, I often say I feel like um, in this day and age, media literacy should be taught in schools. Oh, no, I no, would agree with that. Yes. Knowing how to I tell if a source is valid really benefit. and knowing how to analyze the messages that you're getting and knowing how to mm-hmm. you know, cr- figure out what's valid and what's not valid. So we've talked, I think, a lot about how this weight obsession is, is messing us up and how to try and avoid messing up. But I want to just, my last question, I just really want to get to the last part of your book title, which is how to help girls thrive Mm -hmm. despite everything Mm -hmm. they're bombarded with and despite our own what may be our own insecurities what are what are a couple of simple actionable things that we can do to help girls thrive in this environment which isn't going to change anytime soon well one of the things I already said which is focusing on your what your body can Mm do so very important and so easy and simply by asking the question of what is the favorite thing that you did today with your body can help girls start to think about how their body is a friend and how their body is a vehicle 
to get to do their favorite things. Mm -hmm. But also, to piggyback on that, you add your two cents about what your favorite things are and what your body allows you to do. I love my arms because they allowed me to do this. I love my legs because they allowed me to do that. So it's important that mom sees herself as beautiful, as amazing. And if you don't at the time, fake it till you make it because you want to send that message. And the more that you see it and the more that you hear yourself talk about it, you're going to internalize it as well. And it will become more of the, your truth the more you talk about it. Um, as far as you know, what you can do in your own home, I tell people to make their home a fat talk free zone. Mm. So whether it's as soon as you walk through the door or it's around your dinner table, create a space where we don't talk about dieting and fat and you know what's wrong with this person's body the gossip make it a safe haven mm -hmm. and you know people will say to me well what am i supposed to do when my mother-in-law comes over or whomever because she always brings up such and such weight or who lost weight or what she's supposed to eat and i say just make it a blanket rule and if you feel like you can't say it out loud then tack a note to the front door and say please leave your fat talk at the door and you can collect it on the way out um, you know it's important for people to see that you're creating a home that is set on your values mm. and that is protective of your daughter um, and yourself I think a lot of families would have, you know, they might feel somewhat uncomfortable, but they would probably do something to prevent their kids from hearing racist talk or hearing homophobic yeah. talk, you know, um, and I think that would be something that people would feel compelled to address in if it was happening in their home. Um, and so why not this, which actually can have also extremely negative impact mentally on on the kids so that's a really interesting can. way of looking at it yeah. is there any good way to pay a compliment besides i so i got the the what your bodies can do but you know she's walking down the steps dressed up for the prom you gotta tell oh, her she's no. beautiful right of course you can say this <laughs> I, fathers ask me this question all the time can i tell me tell can i tell my daughter that she's beautiful yes please Tell her she's beautiful. Just make sure it's not the only thing you say. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, tell her that she looks beautiful. You love her in that dress. She, you know, she, I think the color is amazing. You know, oh, yes, of course. All those great things. Okay, good. <laughs> but also make sure that you're complimenting her character mm -hmm. and, you know, what she's great at and mm -hmm. how you loved watching her on the soccer field. Yeah. Because you want her to know that there is more than just her appearance that you value. Right. You value, you know, you value a lot of other things. And and, and when I press fathers or, or mothers about that, they will say, oh, well, of course, she. I'm sure she knows that we love that she's, you know, great at science or, you know, well, she needs to hear it. So because the people that I've interviewed over the last many years they tell me that typically the only thing that they're hearing over and over again is how, is related to how they look. So I think we need to just do a better job praising the 
determination it took to get back on the, the uh, back onto the field hockey field after they broke their leg, or the courage it took to try that new activity when none of their friends were doing it, whatever it might be, yeah. So that they can take that with them, and it's not like when they're walking into the room, the only scripting that they're hearing in their heads is about how they look. We don't want girls to sit there and think to themselves you know, how, how do I look while I'm engaging in this activity? We want them to think about how they feel and, you know, the impact they're making as well. Right. I, you know, I want to tell you about a project I did, which I think you would find really interesting and which I hope is helpful to our listeners. So I'm not a mom, but um, I will say that a couple of years ago at one of our conferences, one of the speakers talked about how frequently women and moms take themselves out of the photograph. You know, they don't want to be in the photographs. Yes. And and um, my mom totally was like that. She hated to be photographed. And you know what? I was too. I would I would hate to be photographed. I took photographs. I didn't like to be in the photographs. And so a woman named Veronica Ariola in Chicago started this hashtag 365 Feminist Selfie Project. And this mm-hmm. was a couple of years ago. And the idea was to take a picture of yourself every day. And I turned it into kind of an exercise of like, sometimes I took a picture of myself. You know, there, there was usually some commentary going with it about all the different things a woman does and all the different parts of being a feminist and all the different parts of being a woman. But over a year, and I I have to admit, I didn't do it every single day. I missed some days, but I did it a lot of days. And you know what? And I, I, then when I saw pictures taken by other people, I was like, oh yeah, that's what I look like. Instead of, I used to have this reaction when I would see pictures taken by people that I look, oh, I look horrible. I didn't know I look like that. I don't see that when I've just in my day to day, I would always be taken aback, mm-hmm. you know, and I, it kind of normalized for me. This is who I am. This is what I look like. And, um, you know, I just, and I got used now. I just really don't think too much about taking pictures. And I'm, if someone wants to take pictures, I'm like, I'm there. And I, right. I feel like right. that is something I've just heard so many women who relate to that idea of mom is taking the picture, not being in Absolutely. the picture. Um, and I think your kids will thank you um, someday if they have lots of pictures of you um, through the through the years. They think you're amazing and beautiful and you're their one of their very favorite people. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so check that out. It's still ongoing. And it's really I think it's so many women have participated and really gotten that same feeling of that sense of comfort with oneself um, Mm -hmm. that that's sometimes hard to get in other ways. But um, anyway, uh, thank you so much, Robin, for joining us today. This was just really fascinating. I feel like I could talk to you forever about this. Um, And uh, and I think it's so important because we have to somehow push back against all the external um, external stuff that's coming at uh, us as adults and then the next generation. Mm -hmm. So it's so important. And I really appreciated um, your really practical advice, I think, for people on what to do, which people are always kind of looking for. So thank you for joining us. Oh, it's my pleasure. I just encourage people to just do do one thing different. You know, it's it's not something that you need to do a major overhaul all the time. Right. It's just integrating a little bit of this information into your common daily activities. Step by step. Step by step. They say. And if you mess up, it's okay. It's okay. You can do it over. That, that is true. <laughs> thank you for the reminder. And thank you again. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. 
Now we have Erica Kendall, author of Black Girl's Guide to Weight Loss. Her personal story of losing more than 160 pounds and her commitment to a sustainable approach to health and fitness has resonated with her audience of thousands of people. Erica, I'm so glad to have you on the show. Thank you for being here. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. So, um, you know, obviously in your intro, I, I talked about the your site's name and, and, and your own personal story. Uh, can you remember and tell us the story of when you made this decision to change your weight and your health? And, and more so, even more so than that, why did you decide to document it? I'm curious about that. Well, the story was basically that my mom and I, we were driving and my daughter was very, very young. My firstborn was very young and we were driving and we noticed that around the corner, a gym had opened up from our house. And she said to me, you know, um, Erica, you know, you should really start, you should really consider going to this gym. You know, um, I'll take your daughter and, you know, you could just go at night when she goes to sleep and I'll make sure that she's okay because it was a 24 hour gym, Mm -hmm. right? So I go and um, so I say to her, all right, fine, whatever, you know, just quit nagging me about it. You know, like, I'll give it a shot. We'll see what happens from it. And I go to the gym and I uh, talk to the owner and, um, you know, they always do that hard sell where they're trying to convince you to give them your money. Right. Um, I kind of just, I kind of just let him do it. it. was like, all right, whatever, let's hear it. And then I burst into tears in the middle of it because oh. I was just like, Maybe I really do want to do this. Maybe this is something that I really want. And I did it. And I went right ahead and went into it. And after six months, I didn't lose much weight and I got really frustrated. Mm-hmm. So I, and then I, um, I was just like, well, screw it. Whatever. It's no big deal. Like, whatever. I'll be all right. I was fine before. It's and then um, I gained 10 pounds in like three months. And I was like, okay, something's wrong here. Something is wrong. So, um, I just, I decided to just change the way I eat, just focus on changing the way that I eat and weight started flying off. And I was like, huh? Well, well, if I add working out to it, then maybe, maybe it'll go even faster. And it did. And then me blogging about it was basically just me trying to figure out the things that I was learning along the way. So are you saying that at first you were working out only and not changing how you eat, and then you tried changing the way you eat and you weren't working out, and then you combined the two? Yeah. Oh, wow. Exactly. Uh, interesting. Um, and so then you just decided to write about it. But then when did you realize? I remember when I first went vegan, I started, because I'd failed many times before, and so I started this little blog with no readership just to have accountability for myself and to write it out. And then all of a sudden I realized, oh, people are reading this. And then I felt this, like, responsibility because I had an audience, you know. And um, when did you realize you had an audience? And and what responsibility did you feel once you realized, oh, people are paying attention to what I'm doing here? I think that... I don't, I don't, I still don't think I have an audience. I think of, <laughs> I think of the people who read my blog as like people who are kind of like digital friends, mm-hmm. you know, like people that kind of read this conversation I've kind of been having with myself that's been going on for almost eight years now. And it's like, I, I, I guess it's also because I'm looking upward, right? Mm-hmm. In a sense, like I'm looking at people who have like 700, 800, 900,000, um, fans on Facebook and people who have like major book deals and have TV shows. And I'm like, yeah, no, I, I don't have an audience yet. Cause I'm looking at that and it's like, well, I want to do that. I want to be able to. Ah! Yeah, so and so does I, your baby want you to do that? 
Um, in my opinion, and the reason I wanted you on this episode where we're mostly talking about developing positive body image is that, you know, you're clearly, it's in your blog title, it's in your personal story. How do you balance the topic of having positive body image really wherever you are in your journey, but but that your journey is very focused on these goals of losing weight and becoming more fit? Did, how do they go hand in hand for you? I actively reject anything that seeks to make me feel bad about who I am or where I am. Mm -hmm. I can't, I can't resent the person that I am and then actively seek to change that person in a positive way. Because if I resent who I am, do I really feel like I deserve positivity? Yeah. And I think that a lot of people are, are more susceptible to um, messages that tell them, you're bad, you need to change because that's what we've all kind of been taught mm -hmm. that we need to change. We need to be something else and we're not, we're not valuable until we are this thing, mm -hmm. this ideal or whatever. And I, I reject that. I feel like, I don't know that I believe shame has ever been a successful, positive, permanent motivator. Yeah. I don't think that, yeah. I don't think that shame is the way that we tell a person how to make healthier choices. I don't think, I also don't think it's the way to encourage people to do something positive for themselves. If you, shame is an isolating thing. It doesn't make you feel like being in a room around a bunch of other people who all have the same goal of being some kind of ideal. Shame is an isolator. It makes you feel like sitting on your couch and curling up in a ball. Mm -hmm. So I'm the kind of person who I also, I also realize that, of all the of all the frustrating moments of I've had growing up as a teen with my mom and talking about my body, the best thing that she ever did for me was create a supportive space where she said, "Look, if you want to do this, I've got your back." That's the best yeah. thing she could have ever done for me. And I realized, why don't we have that kind of conversation, that kind of motivating, supportive, enlightening and, and kind of that gentle push conversation, why don't we have that more in mainstream fitness conversation? I hope to positively change the way that we talk about women and bodies and fitness and the way that that pressure really results in women making the worst possible decisions they ever could for themselves. You know, something just occurred to me while you were speaking, and, it, and I was thinking of, you know, if you look at our community of bloggers and online content creators and writers and and you know technology moves pretty fast and we're always having to learn something new like we're there now there's Instagram now there's Snapchat or whatever it is and you would never say um, I need to learn these new tools because I'm so stupid right now I'm so stupid that um, that I'm stupid that I don't know these things I mean that would never motivate you to think you could go out and learn the new things right so it's it's really yeah. um, so all of a sudden I was thinking when you were saying if you're if you're cutting yourself down to size so to speak now how are you going to think you deserve and can go off and achieve positive goals I think it's so easy for people to say see that you wouldn't do that to learn some new intellectual skill right so why are we doing that to try and motivate ourselves to treat our bodies differently and and eat differently or work out differently um so thank you erica i like had a, an epiphany um uh right there um and i think it's so true we don't respond to ourselves with empathy enough mm -hmm. and i don't think that we see that modeled enough we don't look at ourselves and say you know what i have lived an incredible life 
And if I decide to make some changes, okay, I'll do it. But I don't have to do it while simultaneously beating myself down. Because what happens a lot of times is women who say, gosh, I'm so fat, I need to lose however many pounds, they start to think that the answer is starvation. Yeah. And they believe they deserve, they believe they deserve the pain and the dizziness and the frustration that comes with starving themselves because they're fat. Well, if you weren't fat, you wouldn't need to starve. Right. And it's like, well, that's, well, no, because that's not how that works. That's not how the, number one, it's not how the human body works. Right. And number two, that's not how we motivate ourselves to make changes that are long lasting. So it's, that's the that's the primary benefit to speaking to ourselves a little bit more empathetically is saying that if I am a person worthy of positivity, then I'm a worth a person worthy of being nourished properly. Mm-hmm. So if we don't we don't shortchange or cheat ourselves in the process of doing that um, at the same time because it's like I I did this I read I wrote this blog and I did this this thing that people really admire and I lost all this weight. But then guess what? I got pregnant and I gained a bunch of weight. Could you imagine how, what would I be teaching my daughter right. if I looked at my post-pregnancy? Yeah, yeah. yeah. If I looked <laughs> at my post-pregnancy body and I said to myself, gosh, you're so fat. You don't deserve to be speaking at Blogger or speaking at the, at the summit I'm speaking at next week where I'll be teaching other fitness professionals how to do their jobs. Like, what would what would what difference could I make in the world if I looked at myself and said, You're so fat, you don't deserve to do this thing. You don't deserve to eat until you look the way other fitness professionals think you should eat. Not only would I be shortchanging my career, I'd be shortchanging myself. Right. I don't deserve that. No one does. Right. And I think it's so important that you brought up you, you'd be shortchanging your daughter because I think kids and we, you know, we spoke to um, a therapist. Another one of the folks we're speaking to on this episode is someone who specializes in this. And um, they pick up so many messages, verbal and nonverbal uh, messages that we say about others and about ourselves. So um, that's it's like doubly important. And I just think we would never speak to other people the way we speak to ourselves sometimes. <laughs> um so, and that's one of the things that I've I've written before because it's like when it comes to trying to develop a healthy sense of self and a healthy body image, I think about the things that I say to my daughter. Mm. I encourage my daughter to be. I encourage her to be strong. Mm-hmm. I encourage her to think before she speaks. I encourage her to be kind to herself because that's the only way that she can move forward. And I encourage her to think critically about where she is. And how she can move from where she is to where she wants to be. These are the things that I try to encourage in her. Why wouldn't I try to do the same for myself? Right. Why wouldn't I tell myself the same messages? Right. right. Well, if we go back to the beginning of your story and you talked about your mom, um, you know, first you said, yeah, yeah, she's nagging you. But you said she created a support structure to allow you to do something. Was Was that like the missing piece or was there also something inside you that like, what did it take besides her saying, and I will provide this systemic support for you to do this. What was it inside you that you think signified that you were ready and willing to, to really pursue something and change? You know what? I honestly, I just, I, I said to myself, it's worth a shot. Mm -hmm. Like I am the kind of person where I keep busy. I'm constantly trying to find another way to keep busy. There's always something else that I can do. And she helped me think about not only how I would facilitate this regular frequent commitment and how I would make sure that my daughter is cared for in the process, 
but she also gave me an in as far as what time I can do it. I'm just, like, I'm a workaholic. And for me to find an hour to commit to this one place on this one street, this one street corner, this same hour, seven days, six, seven days a week, mm-hmm. that for me mm-hmm. helped me realize, you know what? Okay, I can give it a shot. All right. So I wanted to ask you, you, you speak specifically from and to the perspective of uh, women of color. Do you, th- do you think there are cultural norms across ethnicities that make body image, um, easier or harder, positive body image, easier or harder to develop and maintain? That's a really good question. That's a hard question. I think that it's a lot. I think there's a lot of different components. Mm-hmm. I think that they're both positive and negative. And uh. I, I believe partly, I, le- I believe partly that it has to do with patriarchy mm-hmm. and that women across cultures are encouraged to do what it takes to make sure that they can have a husband. And I think that when women make decisions for their bodies, they're largely centered around what the men in their communities are um, a, um, appeal to. Mm-hmm. And those mm-hmm. are, and that's what becomes the ideal. I think that a lot of it is just about the way that women are centered in society and the way that we are able to ensure our financial um, well-being is unfortunately, um, it's that message is passed down as, your financial being well-being is attached to marriage. So lots mm-hmm. of women are given messages that tell them to um, do what it takes to have a body that appeals to your ability to have a husband. Honestly. Well, that is a that is a lot to unpack, <laughs> as you as you said. I mean, especially as we're as a society and statistically, marriage is being deferred. Fewer women. Um, you know, women are getting married later if they get married. There are more single women as head of households. I mean, and, and supporting themselves and their children in many, many cases. So the whole, um, you know, patriarchal traditional family structure is is declining, should we say, shall we say, as the typical structure. Um, and yet that doesn't mean we can't carry those messages Um you know, uh, and I also think that it's very true that, you know, they, you see a lot of those videos they do about, you know, beauty through the beauty through the ages and how cultural norms change. And they also are different um, geographically across the world as well. And so then you get like in the United States where we have I mean, there are many cultures that are more homogenous than the United States. And so you, you just have like a lot of stuff going on here um, and a lot of. Uh, I think competing narratives about who, you know, what's attractive in a woman and who, what a woman needs. Uh, That's, yeah, you're right. I kind of, I kind of laid a big old society uh, (laughs) analysis question on you that, that. um, Yeah. It's, and I think that it's, I I think that that's like when I talk to women who are competitors in corporate America, when you listen to the way that they talk about their bodies, the way that they dress, like they're very, very aware of what messages they deliver when it comes to their bodies because they know that when you are a woman who is too much like the ideal, you aren't taken seriously. Mm-hmm. And if you dress and if you dress in any way that is appealing, you're not taken seriously or you're seen as somebody who's trying to sleep her way to the top or you're just trying you're here trying to land a husband or you know like it's I find that women who are in corporate America, like they make a lot of sacrifices so that they can climb that ladder. Yeah. 
and then you and then when you don't make those same sacrifices you are hit with a lot of misogynistic language about your body and your goals and your what your efforts are really what what your uh, what your intentions truly are yeah, it's, and it's it's like it's really frustrating. It's so interesting it's because hard. because the Olympics are go as we're recording this episode, the Olympics are going on, and it has been just I don't know why I have noticed it this year more than past years, but some of the commentary on the women athletes versus the male athletes has has really yeah. blown my mind. Like, um, yeah. you know, on the one hand, we're criticizing Gabby Douglas's hair, that it's not staying in yeah. place enough while she's while she's flying through the air. Um, on right. on the other hand, I was watching diving with with my husband. And as this they were just showing footage of a woman diver walking towards the warm up space and the commentator who's not talking to her, he's just commentating on her her chances, her background, and she's talking seriously to some other person. And he's like, hey, give us a smile, Abby. And then actually it was funny because she ended up smiling at the person she was talking to. But I'm like, give us a smile. She's like pre-competition, having a conversation. It was, I was blown away. Um, And just, there's a million little examples. Um, And it's really funny. Like women, these are the strongest, most powerful, most accomplished women in their field in the world and we're talking about their appearance and whether they smile and whether they have you know a a a soft and appealing enough nature it was it's i couldn't believe it was 2016 to be honest well to top that a little (laughs) bit i should say how about there was a chinese athlete um who she won her she won a silver medal in her sport i can't recall the sport but her boyfriend then, as she's standing on the podium with her medal, her boyfriend then comes up and gets down on one knee and proposes. Now, regardless of how you feel about public proposals or the appropriateness of what he did, the BBC reported this as Chinese athlete gets down on one knee and proposes. He doesn't, it's not a report about her, her medal or it's not, it doesn't even mention her name. Yeah. It just, it, it talks about the man and how he took that time to propose to his girlfriend. Because it's like, yeah, she won a silver medal, but whatever. She finally is getting married. And it's like, <laughs> that's not what she's there for. It's like marriage is a great, awesome thing. I love my husband and he knows that. But when it comes to my career, that's a very separate yeah. beast. And I can only imagine how an athlete who gets to the point where she's competing for dominance, global dominance in her sport, and the reporting about this is not about her, her award, but it's about being proposed to. Yeah. And it's like the still photos of the, of the proposal are incredible because her face is so just like, are you serious right now? Like I'm trying to get my medal. What are you doing? And it's like, this is the idea that we perpetuate and that we teach our children that, and we teach our daughters that your greatest accomplishment is something that you do in service to a man. And that's why when we talk about body image, it's so important to make sure that our girls know, listen, there is a whole world out here and they will say this, they will think this, and you will be expected to accomplish this. And you make your decisions however you feel best with regard to that. But understand, at the end of the day, the only thing you have at night is your own achievement, what you have done for you how you feel about you. Thank you for bringing it full circle back to the topic of 
um, body image and that, you know, and what we, we can personally achieve and, and how we can sustain our own sense of self in the face of all of this. And I want to thank you for taking time because I know you're super busy and have a lot going on. Um, and, and thanks for having this conversation with us. It was a great pleasure to have you on the show. It was a, it was a wonderful pleasure to, to talk to you. Thank you so much. That's it for this episode of Who She Knows, a She Knows Media podcast. I'm your host, Elisa Camelhort page Chief Community Officer at She Knows Media. Our next episode is about a topic near and dear to my heart and my stomach. We're going to talk about a variety of viewpoints about veganism. Please tweet me at Elisa C or leave a message for us on the blogger or She Knows Facebook pages. And you can email us at podcast at She We want to hear from you. Thank you so much for listening.